things, but before I do, let me just remind you of our catalyst verse, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. For everything, there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven. Let me take you back to science class for a brief moment. The earth is continually rotating and orbiting the sun. Now, I want you to think of this like a double Ferris wheel at an amusement park. Constantly moving, but never stopping its spin. Okay? And it's moving in multiple directions. Any one of you feeling a little nauseous this morning just thinking about a double Ferris wheel? So the Earth's surface is moving on its axis at a rate of about 1,000 miles per hour. Couple that with the sun that is actually, or, or the earth that is actually orbiting the sun at a pace of about 67,000 miles per hour. At that pace, you could get from the east coast to the west coast in three minutes. Add to that our entire solar system, earth and all, is actually whirling in our galaxy at a pace of about 490,000 miles per hour. And the crazy thing about this, this makes your head spin figuratively, but not literally. Isn't that remarkable? We don't even know and experience physically what's happening in that rotation. I think that is a miracle. It's a good definition of a miracle. It unequivocally points to the reality that there is a God who created this world to hang in delicate balance. And here's what's so fascinating about it. The sun never moves. It is a fixed star. So the earth is in motion constantly, but the sun is a constant. And so the changing of the seasons are simply a change in regard to the earth's relationship to where the position of the sun is. So as the earth changes its position, so its relationship to the earth changes, and then we experience a change in seasons. Now, I think that's a physical illustration of what happens physically and spiritually in our lives. Throughout the Bible, God is likened to the brilliance of the sun. So like the sun, God never changes. God never moves. But we, like the earth, are constantly in motion. Our lives are in constant flux, moving in and out of various seasons, and they all have to do with our relationship to the sun, to God. Now, throw into that mix the fact that the moon is rotating around the sun, and every once in a while you get a really, really remarkable experience like we had this last Monday. How many of you saw the solar eclipse? Okay. I took a personal day and went south to a little town called Plano, Texas. I'm sorry. I wish it was Plano, Texas, but a little town called Plano, Kentucky. About five-plus hours from here to an unpopulated park 
because I wanted to experience at least that experience of the total solar eclipse, and I got a short video for you to watch this morning. This is a one-minute, the total solar eclipse in Plano, Kentucky was about 142. This is about 120. I want you to take a look at what happens in this solar eclipse. Right there, Shane? Look over here to the star. Sky Up in the sky. That's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Shane, what do you think of this? Yeah. Yeah, it's the middle of the afternoon and you're sitting in the dark. Wow, Keith. That's absolutely gorgeous. That's the atmosphere of the sun that you can see. So there were so many things that were fascinating about this, but one that was just so remarkable was when you could remove your glasses and just stare at that eclipse and look at all of that corona around the moon's surface. We don't see that naturally, but that's always, that brilliance is always shining. The seasons are remarkable, aren't they? Changes in our earth are amazing, but they're also amazing in our lives. And in this series, we've been looking these last couple of weeks, we, we, we focused and shifted our focus from personal transformation to organizational transformation. We talked about two seasons that we are in here at Grace Crossing Church. The first that we looked at was this season of transformation. And here's the verse that we used for this by way of reminder, Romans Chapter 12, verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your mind is not limited to your head. Your mind is responsible for your thoughts, but it's responsible for a whole lot more. It's responsible for your attitudes. It's responsible for um, your, your behaviors. It's responsible for your feelings and your emotions. And your mind runs through every cell in your body, not just your brain cells. And here's the reality. The mind actually affects our emotions, and it is our emotions that determine ultimately our behaviors. So what we do behaviorally is simply coming out of our emotions. If you don't think that's the case, just look at companies that sell things. They are not targeting your head. They are targeting your mind and your heart. Why? Because they know if they can get you to feel something, you may actually choose to buy their something. And the whole idea is that if we can just shift what's happening internally in us, we can actually begin this idea of what God wants to do in transforming our lives because it isn't just limited to our thoughts. 
Transformation is not just what you feel and how you feel. It's not just what we think about. It's how we think. It's the ways that we allow our minds to think. The second thing I I want you to remind, remind you of is this, that a transformed mind is a changed mind. Now, I'm going to add some more flesh to this today. But let me remind you of what I said last weekend, especially for those that weren't with us. Nearly everyone wants to be different, but very few people want to change. Yet if God can change our mind, God can change our entire life. And that change means there has to be choices. We're going to have to make lots of choices along the way. Yes, we're going to have to choose good over bad, yes, but so much more than that. We're going to have to choose something better over something that's not necessarily bad. We're going to have to learn to have a hard yes and a hard no, saying no to certain things so that we can say yes to other things. This change that God desires is going to require that we make choices and changes in everything in our life. It may mean we have to change our lifestyle. It may mean we have to change our reputation. It may even mean we have to change our relationship. For some of us, it may mean a change in our perspective of our life and even the Christian life. For me, it was a change in location. First physically, and then spiritually. So when people ask me, how long have you been the pastor here? I never quite know how to answer them. I've been in this community since the year 2000, so I've been here for 17 years, but in that time, I've really pastored three different congregations. From 2000 to 2005, I pastored a young church that was only two years old, but it was a church that actually had a lot of issues that had to be addressed. And and in 2005, we actually made the bold decision to sell all that we had and follow Jesus. And we started over. In January of 2006, we re-envisioned, repurposed, re-engineered, and rebranded our church for what it is today, Grace Crossing Church. And for the next four years, we were a completely 100% mobile church. We were homeless. And then in 2009, God graciously provided the opportunity for us to build this place. And for the past seven years, this has been base camp for Grace Crossing Church. I call it base camp because the church is not a building. The church are a people. And I can tell you looking back on each of those seasons that we went through in a church, and that's exactly what they were, none of them were easy. Every single one of them required incredible amount of change. And every one of them required that we make choices, not just as a church, but me personally. There were changes and choices that I had to make along the way. And one of those choices was I had to choose obedience over convenience. There's no pastor that signs up to do what I did. No pastor wants to do that. I vividly remember standing before our congregation in 2005. And I vividly remember saying to our congregation something to this effect. Like Abraham, we are about to leave a familiar place and head and follow God to who knows where. 
I cannot promise you this is going to be an easy journey. But here's what I can promise you. I can promise you that God will be faithful to us and that I will remain faithful to you. And I can promise you that God's going to take us where he wants us to go if we will simply align our hearts to him. And I remember saying to the congregation, buckle your seatbelts. We are in for the journey, faith journey of a lifetime. Now we have less than two dozen people that are still a part of this church family from 2000. And every single one of them are my heroes because of the kind of change and the kind of choices that they've had to make. If you are in this auditorium today and you are in this church in 2000, would you stand up right now? Because I want to take just a moment and I want people to be able to join me in saying thank you because these are the seeds that God used to plant this church. Can you just join me in thanking these individuals that are here? They're very few. But thanks be to God for each one of them. Now here's what I learned looking back, connecting the dots. This transition and transformation was not as much physical as it was spiritual. God was doing a deep work inside of us organizationally that he wanted to bring to fulfillment. And there were changes that had to take place. Another change of that transformation for me was that I had to change my definition of success. For the better part of my life and for my ministry career, what I thought success was is I thought success was the perceived size and scope of my influence. Which meant that if I, if I were influencing more people, then I was successful. If I pastored a larger church, then I would be successful. And those metrics, I believe, are some of the greatest tactics of the enemy to get our focus off of God and get our focus onto us. So when I came to the church, that church in 2000, Beaver Creek First Assembly, it was by all accounts a successful church. It had people And it had a large building, a very, very large building, 70,000 square foot building. Let me put that into some perspective. That is one and a half acres under roof. This building is a seventh that size. That church had a gigantic building with gigantic problems in the building. And the couple, and make matters worse, There was no money to address them. The church was $2 million in debt. And so there was no money to address the problems. There was no money to take care in a good way, in a healthy way, in a responsible way of the staff team. So staff were being laid off left and right. When I came during the candidacy process, here's what I was told. I was told we do not have money to hire a pastor. We're doing it in faith. That should have clued me in on something, right? (laughs) That that should have clued me in, okay? Something's awry, But I was young. I was highly ambitious. I had confidence in my leadership. And I really believed that I could tackle it and get through their problems. I felt like Chris Farley. That could grab the world by its tail, pull it down, put it into my pocket. 
What I didn't know is the world I was about to enter was going to grab me, throw me up one side and down another. That I was going to experience some of the most difficult and painful experiences that I had ever gone through in my life. And in that season, yes, God was doing something to transform us, but God was doing a work to transform me. There was a change happening in my life. And I had to go back. I had to go back. All the way back to the beginning. All the way back to the scriptures. All the way back to the gospels. And all the way back to Jesus. And here's what I discovered. According to earthly metrics, Jesus was a colossal failure. He was a colossal failure. I mean, just track with me for a moment. Jesus is born into poverty. He spends the better part of his early formative years as a refugee, left his country, and went to Egypt. He's born into a home where his father is actually a common worker. The word that we talk about being a carpenter really just means one who works with his hands. He did all kinds of manual labor. He probably did everything from masonry to brickwork to woodworking. Jesus is raised in that kind of family, and for the first three decades, he is obscure. The first 30 years of Jesus' life were spent in relative obscurity. He does nothing significant. There's no significant contribution that we ever read about in Jesus' life. And at the age of 30, at the young age of 30, Jesus leaves home for the first time and gets a real job of sorts. He becomes an itinerant preacher, traveling and telling anyone who would listen about God. And yet he never travels more than a 30-mile radius of his birthplace. At the end of his life, he probably inspired a large number of people, but according to the Gospels, he only influenced 12. And those 12 of them, one betrays him, One of them denies ever knowing him. The other 10 defect and actually desert him. So when he gets to the end of his life only three years later, he actually dies a criminal, penniless and friendless. By all accounts, Jesus' earthly life was a colossal and epic failure, but not according to God's standards. Because according to God's standards, Jesus fulfilled what God asked him to do. And I have changed my definition of success. Success is no longer the size and scope of my perceived influence. It is now three simple words, doing God's will. If at the end of my life I do God's will, then it does not make a difference what earthly metrics say. It only makes a difference that I've been obedient to what God has asked of me, that I've been faithful to do what God has asked of me. Which brings me to a third important principle I want you to hear this morning. Spiritual transformation is doing God's will with all of your heart. If you and I desire spiritual transformation, it's going to take all of our hearts and it's going to take our commitment in our heart to do God's will. Proverbs chapter 4, 
Verse 23, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Listen, here's the reality. Every single thing in your life, everything, runs through your heart. And everything that comes out of us travels by way of our hearts. I would suggest to us this morning that our hearts are the most sacred, most spiritual, most profound place, but they're also the the messiest place because it's the place of the real us. And it's the place God so desperately wants to get to. And yet we keep him out of it. Listen, a lot of people have given their life to Jesus, but they've not given him their hearts. They've not given him their hearts. They, they've, given the, they, they've given God a part of them that says, I'll go to church, I'll do certain things, I'll look religious, I'll try to be a good person. But they have not said, come, take over the heart. I want you to have every single part of me. And what the Bible says is that if we don't guard our heart, the course of our life, the trajectory of our life will not travel in the right direction. So here's the reality. It is easy to point out the deficiency in other people's hearts while minimizing or ignoring your own. I know. I know. I did it for years. I wanted the church to change, but I didn't think I had to change. I wanted other people to change, but, but I didn't want my heart to change. I wanted our leadership culture to change, but I didn't think there was anything where I needed to change. Boy, was I mistaken. Boy, was I in for a rude awakening. Because along the way, what God began to do is God began to say, stop looking at that. Stop looking at them. Stop looking at what their deficiencies are. I want to take you to your heart. Listen, God had my heart in his crosshairs. And God was going to do everything and anything to get to the central part of my life. It did not matter what had to be stripped from me. God was coming after the heart. Here's what I'm convinced of. I am convinced that God is more concerned, far more concerned, with your heart and your mind than he is your circumstances. Far more concerned. And yet sometimes, to get to our heart, to get to our mind, God has to change our circumstances. So God definitely wants to change the heart and the mind, but sometimes he has to change the circumstances to do that. So mine came in 2002. I'll never forget it. Everything inside of me wanted to protect my image. Everything inside of me wanted to protect my career. Everything inside of me wanted to make sure that I was not going to be perceived as the failure of a church. And in 2002, God began to change circumstances for me. It happened in the most unusual way. I came home from a day, as I typically had done, overwhelmed with the level of weight and conflict that I was dealing with. I walked into the house, and Kelly said, at dinner time, she goes, oh, I have I've made an appointment tonight. We're getting picked up at 6.30. We're going, or 6 o'clock. We're going down to this service down at this other church, and uh, there's a speaker by the name of T.D. Jakes that we're going to. I said, Kelly, I'm not going. I, I have no interest in going. 
It's been a long day today. I don't, I, I don't really want to go. She goes, no, no, we're going. Somebody's picking us up. I said, honey, please hear me. I, I, I don't want to go. I'll be honest. I was angry. I was angry at her. I was angry at this couple that was coming. I just did not have any interest. I had never heard. I knew who D.D. Jakes was. Never heard a message from him. Before that, have never heard one since. I'm not a groupie, a follower of some personalities or people. So I had no idea about what I was getting into. We show up at this church around 6.30, and I walk in, and there was, sta- there was standing room only. Every single seat was already filled. And my anger level rose to another level. I was at, if I was the one who had driven, I even said to her, I don't want to stay. Let's, get, let's go. I, I, there was something in me that was resisting. And yet God had my heart in his crosshairs. I'll never forget, it was standing for a few moments, and then some guy stands up, and he takes the microphone, and he said, there is a message for a Gil Dukeman at the information center. If, you, if you're here, if your name's Gil Dukeman, there is a really critical message that you need to go to the information center and get. Well, that caught my attention. And so I said to Kelly, let's go over and see what it is. And I went over to the information center, and they said, oh, Gil Dukeman, yeah, so let me get it out. And they look at the note. They said, your mom called. She's on her way. She was in an accident. She's okay, but she'll be here as soon as she can. My mom lives in Fort Myers, Florida. My mom is not a follower of Jesus Christ. My mom has no relationship with me. There would be no reason that my mom, I said, listen, that's got to be for somebody else. That can't be for me. I said, well, I don't know. This is the message that came in. This is actually what we, we were supposed to give to you. And while we're talking, and I'm saying that's certainly for somebody else, up walks this guy with his microphone. And he says, did that guy come out here, this Gil Dukeman? And she said, oh, yeah, here he is. And he looked at me and said, oh, you're Gil Dukeman. I said, yeah, I'm, I'm here, and here's the story, and it certainly can't be for me. I'm a local pastor. My mom lives. He goes, you're a pastor. He goes, great. We got seating for you. And he takes me down to the front, Kelly and I, and he actually walks up to a person with a clipboard, and he said, this is a pastor here from our community. He, and he looks, and he goes, what's his name? Gil Duke. Oh, we don't have a Gil Dukeman on our list. He goes, I don't care. I want him here seated. And the guy put, puts us in the fourth row, dead center, in that service. And after the band and the music and the choir, out walks T.D. Jakes. And the very first words out of his mouth, where I have come all the way from Texas with a word for one person here tonight. You walked into this church and you could not even find a seat. You had no idea what you were going to do. You had no idea why you were even here. I have come all the way from Texas for a word for you tonight. And the word that he gave in that moment was Exodus 14, 14. The Lord your God will fight for you. All you need to do is be still and stand. When he shared that, the floodgates opened. I began to weep as God locked onto my heart. And I did not stop weeping for that entire service. His message that day was really profound. It was, so what if no one believes in your dream? So what if nobody believes in what you see? And what I saw was this, 
I saw Grace Crossing Church, a healthy church, a church filled with people who were emotionally healthy, fully surrendered to God, whose hearts were set ablaze. I didn't know how to articulate it then, but I had a dream that there could be a church in this community that would be so transformational, so attractive like Jesus was, that people would walk in and go, I can sense his love. I can feel his presence. I want to experience that. And that's what we see. That dream that day that was planted there, it was this. And so I stand before you today and I make to you this declaration. I've only said it one other time in our church's history. Buckle your seatbelts. We are about ready to enter into a unique season, a transformational season, that is going to require a second season I talked about last weekend, and that is we are moving to a season of incredible surrender to God. What God wants to do is so transformational. He speaks about it in Luke chapter 5, and I'll close with this. No one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out, and the skins will be ruined. No new wine must be poured into new wineskins. Listen, here's the reality. If we want God to do something special with us, then we have got to allow God to do something significant in us. Because the only way God can do something special with us and through us is if God is allowed and permitted to do something significant inside of the deepest, darkest recesses and deficits of the human heart. That's where God wants to meet us. We're going to pick this up next weekend for our final talk on seasons. But before I transition, I want to pray with you. Would you bow your heads, please? I know there are people here today in this auditorium who are spiritually and emotionally stuck. And you are wondering, where is God and how can I move the needle in my life? I'm going to tell you where it begins. It all begins with a changed mind, a renewed mind. And it begins with doing God's will with all of your heart, committing yourself to him. Because don't look now, not only was my heart in God's crosshairs and still is, but so is yours. He is looking at your heart. He wants to get to you. And God wants to transform everything about your life, and that does not happen by good intentions. That happens by total surrender. So I'm inviting you this morning, right now, before we move into this brand new transformational series, What Lies Beneath, I'm inviting you to let God in, to give him permission, to welcome him into the deepest part of your heart. If you want to do that this morning and that's your heart, would you raise your hand and say, count me in. Count me in. I'm, I'm there. I want to go there. I want to be willing. I want to be available. I want God to transform every part of me. I'm willing. You see our hearts today, Father. 
You've only asked me to deliver that which you've given to me, so I did it today. And so my prayer is that you'll take it, transform us, inspire us to new heights in you. Thank you for the days that lie ahead. We are so excited, God, about what's coming. Apprehensive. We know there's a a tendency toward fear in us, all of us. But I want to thank you for the journey that I've been on and the journey that I now get to expand to this body in a deeper way. We're beginning it now, but it's coming here in just a couple of weeks. So God, help us, I pray, to yield and surrender our hearts to you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.